Welcome to Thrive, a series that explores how founders, leaders, and changemakers innovate, grow, and navigate in an age of constant disruption. Okay, welcome everyone. I'm Lindsay DiPietro. I'm the director here. I'm going to be very brief. We're going to get busy with our conversation tonight. We have two Babson alums on the stage tonight. Uh, uh, over here we have Samir Patel. Uh, Randall's going to introduce Samir. This is Randall Yusri. Randall is our uh, partner in this series, in the Thrive series, um, the CEO of Free Range, and also he uh, is a Babson MBA and teaches here at Babson. So I'll turn it over to Randall. Welcome, Thank you. Samir. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah definitely. Oh, you don't need this. Nope. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Samir. Pleasure. Um, just a little background on Samir for those who haven't read. He, he is the CEO of Kahuna, which is a consumer marketing automation pioneer in the valley here uh, that has been invested in by Sequoia, Tanaya, Softech, you name it, a number of really great um, firms. Um, um, he has been there just about seven months, yep. right? Uh, before that, he was uh, leading up uh, success factors from a, a kind of a general management perspective. For a SPP. couple of the products. Yeah, yeah for a couple of the products. And um, before that, it was in services for 15 years, right? Yep. Um, and we'll done. get into Change some of this. Made. <laughs> we'll get into some of this a little bit uh, later. But I, I, I thought I would kind of start off with a conversation we were just having, which I always find interesting um, when speaking to CEOs of what really kind of moves them. Yeah. And uh, the thing that he said to me, which uh, touches my heart a little bit, was his enjoyment of waking up early in the morning and going for a walk with your son. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 how to kind of balance your life a little bit and make yeah. sure you're there. So yeah. What wakes you up in the morning? Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I think you know. I think it's um. It's it's a, the answer changes right. Uh, at a, at a most fundamental level, uh, you know, I was an athlete all my life, and you know, this notion of achieving has kind of been there regardless of what you're doing and I think it subconsciously remains with you um, and so you you know you're always looking at how do I how do I raise the bar how do I raise the bar um, and then life happens around it and you've got to raise the bar while you look after life and all the other things that matter to you and you know I have two great kids and an amazing wife and um, you know, and you, you start to figure out how to, how to just, some days you're doing it to strive because you want to set a higher bar, and the other days you're doing it for them, and the other days you're doing it because you don't want to, and you just, but you're doing, you're doing, right? Um, you know, the, the whole sort of, the story around, you know, 50% of success is just showing up is true. You just, you need to show up in the arena and, and, and go for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another layer of things, right? Where, you know, I've, I've been blogging for about 10 years now and, and I'm pretty open about how I think about whether it's employee performance, organizational performance, and, and, I'm, and I'm a student of that in many ways, right? Um, you know, how do you build high-performing cultures? Um, how, do you, how do you build, you know, companies that can withstand Ups and downs are going to happen. How do you get employees to really sort of, you know, follow a North Star? How do you have the conviction to change the North Star? Yeah. Which has to happen as well. And it's those kinds of things that, you know, I never really look at this as this is a job and that's a job. It's this is a thing that I would love to do forever and ever, you know, and keep doing it because there's always a new paradigm to take. Um, and you, you learn your way through it, right? Um, so I don't really, you know, I, 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 I just wake up to do more of that, and I did that, and it manifested itself as a GM, and as a guy who ran his own business for nine years, and now as a CEO of a product company, and fine, who knows what the next one is, but I keep getting to do what I love under some other, some fancy title, right? Yeah, it sounds like you have this, uh, this um, brilliant mindset that has been established over years. What, you know, if you look at that trajectory of your career, like what are some milestones along the way that have really helped form that mindset? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, I, I can't tell you it's been perfectly scripted. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't. It looks back, it looks all beautiful right now when you look back and you can write a great book about it, but no, you know, it, it didn't look like this. Success is like this, right? Um, you know, my wife will always remind me how, like, I can see it. I can see that look in your face. You're, you know, you call it upping the bar. I'm calling it your board, you know? <laughs> 
Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I you know I was 38 years old after I had built my own services company for many years, and you know, and I was like, well, am I? You know, I'm in Silicon Valley, and I've been around products for a while. If I'm going to make a shift, right shift, this is the time to to do it. And it was a gigantic reinvention. I just think you have to be open to that kind of massive reinvention of yourself that I think keeps you moving on an ongoing basis. You cannot be scared of that, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the next one's going to be. But for me, that was a huge one I had. You know, I was working for a services company in Silicon Valley right around the time of the dot-com bust. And the company is a good example of why it's not scripted, right? You know, a circumstance kind of hits you and you, you make a choice in life. Um, you know, the company imploded. So it imploded, like every Silicon Valley company, it was gone. Um, I was running a business for them on the West Coast and I had about 10 or 12 really big brands we didn't work for. And they said, well, you know, the company's gone, but we still need the work. And I said, literally, I, I don't know why I said this, but I said it. I was like, give me 48 hours, I will incorporate. Mm -hmm. and, and I went to every, con every now laid off contractor on the team and said, I'll put you on a 1099 for a month. Let me figure out what it takes to start a company, because I don't know, even legally. But I know I can get you to hire an accountant who used to do, he was my personal accountant, but he also did small businesses. So I was like, dude, I, I'm not calling you for the normal stuff. This is not about my taxes. This is about, you know, this. Um, and literally my wife and I sat at the dinner table and she, and I'm like, I don't know what to call this thing. And she's like, well, what do you do? You know, and I was like, well, you know, we, 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 we go to tech companies and these are marketing departments in tech companies who, uh, are marketeers and they don't understand technology but they're marketeers and they know technology is moving really really fast and what I've done really really well at my old company which is now imploded which is why they want to keep us is we helped you know VPs of marketing who needed to worry about being marketeers we took on the work of saying I'll monitor changes in technologies for you and you trust me to bring them to you mm -hmm. and together we'll make a decision and this works and oh so you you span the diff the gap between and my wife's a teacher right so like oh you span the gap between you know, business and tech. I was like, yeah. She's like, and do, what do you do? I was like, we'll do strategy work with them. Great, span strategy. I was like, done. Th th that's the name. <laughs> Terrible name. <laughs> Whatever. You know. Um, and uh, and so you know, you've you've just. I mean, my biggest lesson from that, and even the next one to success factors and all is, is and if there's one thing I could share, right? If there is something to glean out of all of this, is you've just got to be present in the moment. Right? You've got to see these signals. You can't be inundated. Right? This person came. I could have told this customer, you know, I don't know what to do. Uh, I don't know. Right? Um, but you're like, wait a second. There's work. There's business to be had. There's mm -hmm. people who need to be employed. Something can be done here. Um, and do you I ever feel yourself? $42,000 that first year. Oh, right? Nice. After, you know, with, we just got married. I had a, just bought a house in Palo Alto. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> Just, it worked. She's got to take the leap. <laughs> and, and do you ever fail your, find yourself uh, not present? And what Plenty do you do times. to kind of come back? Right? Plenty of times. My kids yeah. remind me all the time. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the worst sign you ever want, which I would not recommend you ever get to in your life, is when your kid takes the phone from your hand and puts it down. That's not a good sign. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I think, you know, I, I, that was one of the... It's, that was, it's a good question to ask because it's, it's the one promise, one of the promises I made to myself when I left my last role and took this role on. Uh, I was terrible. I was terrible at being able to kind of do two things at one time. I would talk to my kids and my phone's in my hand or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the office and I'm trying to solve some camp problem and whatever. Um, and you just feel... Um, you just feel terrible. You're just like, I didn't do a good job of this, and I didn't do a good job of that, and nobody's happy, and you know. So I did, I promised myself that I'd do a better job of channeling. I don't think I'm fantastic at it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I try to, it, what works for me is I've ne I haven't worked for, I used to work from home a lot before my children were born, but they haven't seen me work from home. And they don't understand this whole, I'm working from home, you know. For them, it's like, you're home, you're fair game. And so, um, I'll stay in the office an hour later. I'm like, when I'm done, and then when I walk in, I'm like, let's go, you know? And I have one hour with them before they go to bed because I don't get home till 7.30, quarter to eight. Um, and then, you know, what, the way we started, right? You know, my son and I will 
he's up early, 6 a.m. The two of us will just head out, go for a walk. Um, you know, he'll banter away about stuff. And um, he thinks he's getting my time. To be really honest, it is my calm in the day. That is my calm. He doesn't realize it, but he's doing more to more for me than I'm doing for him. You know, yeah. it's just like, shh, we just... And you start, you start your day well. So I just think you've got to be really cognizant of where your head is. You know, I wake up in the morning and I make a decision. If I don't go to the gym today, I'm not going to get through this day the way I want to. And I will drop everything and go to the gym. I wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to the office at 10.30 today. I, I need to be in my own zone, mm -hmm. you know, before I get in there. Because if I get in there, I'm going to get subsumed in stuff and I need to stay up here. Um, like I was telling you yeah. outside, I'll walk yeah. to the office and I'm about to enter the office. I'm like, I'm not walking in the office. I'm going to take a walk around the block. I'm going to clear my head. Um, uh, and you, you, you're, you just have to be cognizant of your state of your mind. And I think that if I wish I knew this 25 years ago, I mean, this is not about just because you're CEO, right? Um, and again, it's, it's a work in progress, but I'm, I'm happy that I'm thinking so hard about it. I'll say that. I won't say I've, I've wrestled it completely to the ground. Well, let's talk about Kahuna a little bit yeah. and, and what they do and, and just the state of the industry. Sure. Um, so Kahuna is a, um, it's a marketing automation technology for consumers. All big, big buzzwords. I'll, I'll throw the others out. We have AI and machine learning and all the cool things that you, know, you kind of have to say you have. Big um, Yeah, <laughs> buzzword bingo done. Um, but the, uh, the, but again, it is, it's an awesome company and it's really cool and it does stuff nobody else does. So I'll, that's, the, that's the plug I'm wearing the badge. Um, uh, no, so, so Kahuna is, it's very interesting. What got me interested to take, you know, to sort of join the company was, um, you know, the, the premise, uh, the premise is quite simple. You know, when you, we're all consumers and this is why I love it. Finally, I can talk to my kids about what I do and they get it and my wife and everybody, right? It's, you know, the, it's, it's designed for brands who sell to consumers, right? Or retailers or, 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 or e-commerce vendors. And the hypothesis is the following. Prior to the mobile phone, if you are, if I am, you know, we'll just, let's just pick a vendor, right? Nordstrom. And there's no reason why I picked them, but let's just pick them. Um, Nordstrom would reach out to you and me via email was the only channel in the which that they reached out to me and the only signals Nordstrom ever got back was okay you clicked on something and you opened something and that, that's all they had and based on that they decided that they're going to spam you even more in because they've made some kind of guesses based on what you might have opened what you didn't open. You know we like to think about mobile as uh, a device where I do stuff but actually the power of mobile is the signals that mobile can send back to a brand to cater to you better, right? So where in an email just says, hey, I opened this and I, and I looked at that, mobile tells me, you know, Samir buys gray shirts and suddenly he's looking for swimwear. Um, or he's looked at the shirt five times. Or he's left $100 worth of stuff in his shopping cart. Um, location, things that you and I these days are more and more attuned to keeping open, right? Like, I mean, Uber would never exist if you didn't give them your location. Like, this is a non-starter. And, you know, consumers are getting to a point where if you get 10x value for sharing certain data points, you might be interested. Mm -hmm. Uber gives you 10x value and you're like, sure, I'll let you know where I am from a location standpoint. It can't be 1x, it can't be 2x. And so Kahuna can gather signals about your behavior based on what you might do in a mobile app of a vendor, on the, on, on, on the web, uh, on their website, not anywhere on the web, right? Just when mm -hmm. you're on their, on their site. Um, SMS, you know, chatbots, all that. And within five seconds, it can update your profile. And that's when we then apply machine learning to say, um, you know, your interests are such, your preferences around which devices you're engaging on a Thursday versus Sunday, all the things that you actively share, nothing that you don't share allows us to engage with you, right place, right device, right time, right message. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our typical customers are modern marketeers, right? The Dollar Shave Club is our customer. Uh, you know, Yelp is a customer. A lot of modern brands who treat the consumer, who want the consumer to be at the center of the process versus, you know, how, how can I batch and blast you more often, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a paradigm shift in that, that you know, we have never been able to engage, be engaged as consumers as one-to-one. -one. 
we have always been part of a segment and a cohort and you know Samir is like you and so therefore you know you, you guys are both wearing blue jeans it's like it's just all superficial stuff right but we are increasingly leaving the kinds of signals out there that can allow a brand to engage with you as an audience of one that's mm -hmm. what we call it right yeah. so that's kind of the you know that's the it's a it's a really really interesting industry um, who's some of your competitors and it's a good question. So we've actually gone through a bit of a change lately. Yeah. Uh, our original competitors, you know, the, 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 our predecessors are companies like Exact Target and Responses and these big B2C marketing automation software uh, companies that got bought out by Salesforce and Adobe and uh, Oracle. Um, what we are now doing is we're actually providing all of the machine learning and the artificial intelligence as a decision system that sits alongside these applications. So we're just a rocket fuel underneath them. Okay. If you use them for your basic stuff, you don't need to reproduce them, remove them. You just, you just plug Kahuna underneath and it, just, it, it will give it the instructions and say, you know, 7 p.m. on Thursday night, not an email, iPad notification, not a phone. You know, Sunday morning, you got a cup of coffee in your hand, hopefully, with, a, with your iPad, with your uh, email open. Email is a better channel. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, the, the data science elements are really, really heavy. That's the one thing we do better than anybody else. And we leave the delivery of emails and the m mobile messaging and everything to somebody else. Yeah. And, and will you continue to focus specifically on that over the next 18 yeah. or 24 months? Or are you broadening product lines? No, I think we'll, I think, no. So we'll definitely stay focused on this. Uh, but there's so much left to do in there, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I was with a customer, a prospect, hopefully a customer soon, um, right before this. And, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, let's, let's just again sort of roll back to you, right? Um, you know, you like beer. You drink beer on Thursday nights, right? You know, Kahuna would know that if they were working with beverages and more or not, based on your buying patterns and what kind of beer you like, right? Um, there's so much left to be done in terms of being better at engaging with you, right? If Kahuna knows you drink beer and you drink it on Thursday nights, great, we can send you something on Thursday evening on your way, you know, hopefully on your way and you'll buy some beer. But based on, you know, other factors around you and, and your behavior, you know, maybe you like baseball and it's raining on Wednesday um, and it's known that when it rains, people drink a lot more beer. So, you know, can you drive, can you, I, and this is not just Kahuna, I think as an industry, we're going to help spark buying events. Mm -hmm. Technology hasn't let you spark a buying event. They've been really good at catering to a known event. You know, can we spark an event um, uh, and a buying cycle, right? So I, that's one example of about 50 of things, 50 you know, different things we can do to really get brands to stop putting you into buckets mm -hmm. and treating you as an individual. And I think that the, you know, the experience that, um, that all of us have come to expect as consumers, and I don't think we, ever, we, don't, we look at it this way, but it, it sits between two bookends, right? One bookend is, you know, when you shop on Amazon and you look at sort of the recommendations at the bottom, they're amazing, right? You may not buy everything, but you're like, holy crap, like, wow, you nailed it. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a function of really good one-to-one -one personalization because they have your purchase history and machine learning to say, if you like this, chances are you're going to like that. That's kind of one bookend. The other bookend is Uber, where there is no people segmentation. There's nothing. There's just me and my behaviors, and all the marketing and engagement is done uh, based on my interests, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to have to fit in there, right? From an experience standpoint, you know, from the time that you order an Uber to get in an Uber to get out of an Uber and pay your credit card bill, at no point in that process did you ever think that you were marketed to or sold to, right? Yeah. Yet they're making billions. That's like we're all subconsciously, subconsciously expecting experiences that look more like that. And every time a brand is not like that and they do something to you that feels impersonal, you're going to start to recognize it and feel it, right? So. You know, when we look at what we call the third war of commerce, which is on us right now. Um, uh, Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, if you look at sort of, you know, you look at um, uh, your three sort of broad phases, if you will, right? There was sort of e-tail versus retail that happened in the dot-com days, where, which gave rise to the Amazons. 
uh, and that was purely a operational efficiency value play where Amazon could take all this cost out by not having all that physical space and provide you with something that was uh, cheaper, right? Um, then in the last 10 years, you had a whole slew of new brands come up. Uh, you know, Bonobos is one of them, Jet, um, Revolve Clothing, trillions of dollars of brand new companies that elbowed their way in to a world dominated by an Amazon. And they did that by doing two things, right? One was they came up with really compelling products. They changed the product. Uber didn't come up and say, I got a better cab. They changed the entire product, right? Mm -hmm. uh, combined with you know, online and the, 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 the efficiencies that come from digital, but you change the product. Now, the leading brands, and frankly, the leader in this is Amazon because they don't want to get Amazon by somebody, is applying gigantic amounts of machine learning to really understand consumer preferences, mm -hmm. right? And to do that, they're going to crazy lengths, right? They're going and buying retail businesses. If, if, if they think they can know you better by bringing in your whole food shopping profile, they're going to spend the money. It's, it's a drop in the bucket for them to yeah, get it's better at knowing you. It's nothing, yeah. nothing, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Every brand right now is going to compete on one-to-one -one personalization. So when we talk to big retailers who are shutting stores down and are looking at reinventing themselves, the only the, the way they're looking at having a shot is one-to-one -one personalization. If they can connect with you in a way that nobody else can connect with you, they, they, they will buy themselves enough time to put better products inside. If they can't connect with you, it doesn't matter how good their products are, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, th there is very little education left when we go talk to these customers about one-to-one -one personalization. Um, and now, in our case, you know, the case studies for Kahuna success are, are becoming quite public. So it's a good kind of good timing yeah. in that sense, right? So you're in the B2C, or you're selling a B2C product yeah. in many respects, but you're in the B2B business. Absolutely. And, and one of the conversations we were having earlier was around product market fit, yeah. understanding opportunities, but really getting out there to talk to customers. Yeah. And, and just talk about a little bit about the first seven months, you know, getting out there, meeting customers, and, yeah. and, and what you've learned along the way, and what you thought you knew beforehand. Um, you know, I think... Uh, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, there's two things, right? One is, is you, you have to go in um, and be able to spot the undercurrents, right? Like, the, not what they're saying, what they're not saying, what they're, what they said, oh, by the way, like, you're literally looking for words to see, you know, what are they, how are they talking about what's really keeping them up at night, right? So that's kind of one bucket of things that are not very explicit in the way that they're responding to your very stated questions. I think the second thing is, um, it's very easy to get into confirmation bias when you're listening. You're you you, you want to hear what you want to hear, and you're not listening. You're, you're just like, yeah, like they said that one thing, but they said these four things, mm -hmm. and 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 you've got to be super honest about, you know, what are they actually saying? And it has to run through all the different, all of the all of the pieces that will get you to a successful product, right? Which are, um, obviously, the product has to work. It has to be consumable in a way that um, uh, they will buy. Uh, it cannot defy. It cannot um, uh, defy what I call the laws of uh, organizational gravity, right? Which is, you know, if your product requires three functional areas to come together and get into a committee and decide, it ain't gonna happen. It's gonna be take you three three times the amount of time to close a deal, right? You you can't get caught up in not listening to every single signal that says, I can sell this. It can sell in a certain amount of time. Uh, I can afford that amount of time given the kind of sales team I have, um, and you know, and we can close enough business to sort of make our numbers, right? So you, you, as a as a person looking at product fit, it's not just about will my features get used. You have to understand all these dynamics, and I think most people get into they're so they're in love with what they built, and I just pushed it to production yesterday, and come on, like how, how you know she said she liked it, yeah, but dude, she also said that she won't replace what she has to buy it. She just said she likes it. She didn't say she's buying it. Mm -hmm. um, you've, you know, and, and you've got to take the right people to those meetings so someone can call your bluff. Um, and it's hard. It's hard. I want, to be, I want them to, you know, I'm, I'm not listening sometimes. Like, you're not listening. I was like, yeah, I'm not listening. You know? one, of the <laughs> one of the things you said earlier was, you know, coming into a smaller company, you're like, ah, oh, this, you know, 
this should be a little bit easier. It's a smaller company. I'll be able to wrap my head and I'll be able to create a plan pretty fast. And yeah. a couple of people were telling you something a little bit differently. Yeah, maybe go into that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, you know I had a lot of friends who had, who had recently been CEOs and, and they had all said it will take you eight to 12 months to truly understand how you want to build a great company. And I was like, you're full of it. Like, who has eight months? You know, Silicon Valley, it's a lifetime. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of things that we did in the first two, three months. And I was like, I told you you're wrong, you know. And we, you know, it was a bit of a, um, a reset for the company as such. And, you know, we had to get the people fired up and, and get them back to a good place. And, you know, we made, we made best companies to work for in literally five months of this. And I was like, what are you talking about? We're on our way. Like, who? we did in five months, right? We're great. And, and I don't think you think through you know, many other facets, which is, again, you need some time to get in front of 50 customers. It's not going to happen in a month, right? So that, there's that. Um, you truly, you know, the second thing is, is understanding, you know, again, the product and, and what you've built. Third is, you know, who's got confirmation bias that I don't have because I'm new. I didn't build all the code. And who, you know, who do I need sort of, what, what do I need to parse out, right? And then the fourth one, which is, I would love to tell you I, I knew this, but I, I learned the hard way completely, um, is uh, what I've called, lack, for lack of a better word, uh, emotional equilibrium amongst your leadership team. It's a big falutin word, which means nothing, but I'll explain to you what I mean, because I, I have no better way to say it, but I think it is super important, super important, which is when you're putting leadership teams together, um, you have to have a really good sense of our, they're all smart, obviously, that, that's a given. And their experience, their resumes are awesome. Uh, and you had dinner with them and they just sound like the right person and you feel you can have a beer with them and, and all that. But if you cannot get all of them within the same sort of emotional set, you know, space or latitude, um, you're gonna have a lot of trouble. If some people are the type who, you know, if they're all complete hard asses with like knives and daggers in each other's backs, then they're all like that. And I can, I don't want to name companies, but there are some very successful companies here that as companies do really well and they're all like that and you know what you're getting into. And if they're all very by committee and need to hold hands and make a decision, then they all need to be like that. But, or if there's some, you know, they, they can't, you can't have this mismatch in terms of how they relate to other people. Um, and, I've, and, 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 and that is one of the biggest lessons that I don't think people look for enough. You know, you don't really think through, can these people get in a room or is one person going to keep rubbing the other person the bad, you know, in, a, in, a, in the wrong way just because they made a flippant comment and they didn't even think hard about it, but the other person's very sensitive and they're listening. And, you know, pick one. Just pick one. Doesn't matter. Just pick one, but pick one. Yeah. You know, I can tell you of examples of companies that were at all those levels, but they but they had a similar vein and, and they did great, right? I mean, I know what company I want to build. I just need to stay in that band. So yeah. these are the kinds of things that take a while, you know, and, um, and I think, you know, we've, we've made a ton of changes to, you know, our, our organizational makeup and even leadership makeup. Um, but I would be lying if I told you I knew all this going in. Well, you're coming into your own right now. Yeah. Well, what does a typical day look like for you now? Um, they're a typical day. Uh, I'm up. That. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. Um, you know, I'm 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 up by five. Uh, out of habit, not because some CEO job needs to. I've never never slept past five. I'm a morning guy. I've I was a competitive uh, squash player all my life, and so you know, and when you're young and. The only time to do homework is before school. My parents would wake me up at six in the morning or five in the morning. I would hate it because I was playing squash every evening. And then as you mature, you're like, well, that's the only time my brain actually works now, you know, because it's when my brain works best. So you won't get anything out of me after like 10, 30, 11 at night. Um, and I, you know, I make that call in the morning. Like some days it's like, I just need to clear my head um, uh, and I'll, 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 I'll go to the club. Uh, you know, I, um, I think it's also very important to think about doing things when it comes to gym and sports and exercise. For me, that clears my head. So the worst thing in the world for me is treadmill. I'm still, I'm all, I'm in the office as far as I'm concerned. My mind's all over the place. I'm thinking about work, uh, and it sucks. Like I walk off that thing feeling just like I didn't take a break. 
Conversely, I, you know, I go play half an hour of squash, my lungs are in my hand, right? Like I can't even think straight. And, but when you're done, you take a shower, you're like, wow, my brain is just freed up. So I'm a big proponent of like, if you can find a way, to, whatever your exercise routine regimen is, if you can find a way to do something that clears your head out, play soccer, play a game, play, play something, do something, it works really well for me. I feel like I just left everything. I, I gave my brain a, re, a chance to reprioritize before I start the day, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm, again, cognizant of days where I can do that, or days where, like today, like I'm in the city till night, uh, you know, I had to use the morning to work because I knew, you know, my day was going to get cut short. Um, and then there was days when my son wakes up and I'm like, all right, that's the perfect excuse to, to, to procrastinate on everything and we just leave for half an hour. Um, you know, I'm, um, I'm in the office at least an hour before my routine starts just so that I can control my day. Um, I think one of the best things I did seven or eight years ago is, you know, I, I used to feel like I was not, I, I felt like my sort of, the start of my day had a big impact on how the rest of my day was going to go. And I started to force myself to do and finish one thing in the morning. And like, and my whole day then is in action mode after that. You know, when you're like, done, like I got that big email to that customer out, like I forced myself to finish something in the beginning before I start dealing with people and the rest of the day all I'm doing for is looking for what can I knock off the list, what can I knock off the list and I think that's really important mm -hmm. because it's very easy to blink and be like well I did nine meetings today, everybody else got what they wanted, I, I haven't started my day, right? Yeah. So again it's just like you know, you've just got to be present, like you can't, let, it's very easy for, you, for this world to like subsume you when you're in this role. Um, and are you able to shut off at night? I mean can you? Are you, are you staying up sometimes or? You know, I'm not staying up because I start really early, but other days where I'll wake up at three in the morning, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it is. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, that that's not there. It's there. Um, I'm exhausted. So there's, I mean, no matter what's going on, I will fall asleep when I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> but I could be up at three in the morning. And then I'm like walking around the house. I'm, you know, um, it's not often. Uh, but I feel, again, you know, gym really helps. It regulates your body really well. So when you're working out, you just you're forced to just regulate. Yeah. Um, and diet, you know, I made some big changes to my diet. It's helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. It was never it was never bad, but I made some pretty drastic changes, and I feel like you know my energy is twice the amount. I can go till seven, eight, eight o'clock at night. Um, I had a lot of inflammation because I was a competitive squash player, and you know. When you hit 40, the warranty expires, for those of you who are not 40. Um, <laughs> so uh, some of this content will be used in classes and stuff all along good. those lines. Um, all good. You know, it's just, I wish they had this kind of content. Oh, yeah. For, but, you know, you know you've, you've had a pretty um, incredible career over 20 years. Are, are there a few things you would have done differently? I mean, it's a big question, I know. But. Yeah. You know... When you're in the moment, I can tell you five things I do differently, but then I stop myself and I'm like, every turn that I made got me to here, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's easy to sit back and look at, you know, things that I would have done differently. I mean, um, now that I've taken this job and I'm in the CEO role and I did the GM role before it, are there days where I'm like, well, you know, I wish I hadn't stayed in consulting for that long and started this process. I could have started this five years earlier um, and I would have been on my second CEO job now because I'm loving it, you know, and, and, and but, I, but life was good then too. Um, so I don't really think, try to think too hard about, you know, I think life just has a way of, for most of us at least, you know, it just kind of finds its way, right? So I, I, don't, I don't really have any regrets in that sense. Yeah. I, I really don't, you know, I'm sure other people do, and but I don't, like I don't, I just approach life and like, when I think of something that's not right, I'm like, yeah, but I would have never been here had I not gone through that struggle or this. So something would have pushed me out. So um, one of the things I've appreciated about speaking with you um, for the last few hours is you kept on saying, yeah, I just got lucky, man. I just got lucky, right? You, you, know, you found yourself being an apprentice to a, a really yeah. great co-founder of a yeah. company. And I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I, I was lucky from the day I was born. I mean, you know, just like, I, I don't forget that, you know, yeah. I... Um, they were all uh, people made sacrifices to get you to where you are, and uh, um, you got to make the best of it. But I do, I do believe that, like you know, there is, uh, there is, you can't get full of yourself. Yeah, you just you can't wake up and just be like it, 
no, it wasn't all you. Like you rose on someone's shoulders. Like it's just, it's, uh, um, that's the philosophical side of it. <laughs> um, so before we head into QA, it's kind of the last question. You know, there's a number of uh, aspiring CEOs, product managers, program managers coming up in Babson right now. Um, what are the three pieces of advice yeah. you would give them, um, particularly as they're coming into their, you know, first year of working or first few years of working? Um, I mean, I'm gonna, there's different ways to slice that, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at it more from, we're here in Silicon Valley and, and how does it kind of matter if you're here? I'm gonna go there, right? Because mm -hmm. it would be different if you were looking for a finance job in Wall Street or what have you. Um, you know, I think, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, there's, there's, there's waves in which Silicon Valley has been created, right? If you go back, 30, 40 years ago, it was engineers who, who created sort of the, you know, the big technologies on the basis of which we build stuff, right? Um, then you went and created, and so you created all the software, which was on-premise, all that, right? Um, then you had back, I want to say 15 years ago, a wave of sales and marketing people who were driving the next wave of, of companies, right? Mark Benioff, at Salesforce, Lars Dahlgaard, um, at, uh, at SuccessFactors, you know, brilliant, brilliant people who could convince people to say, hey, you know, putting your software in the cloud is not risky, and I'm going to give you the same features. And it took selling. I mean, it took selling, right? There was so much FUD around that stuff. Um, then you went into a wave of, you know, reinvention. And I think we're still in there. So for people who are thinking about this right now, um, we are going through so much disruption right now that being really good at product, if you're an engineer, you're an engineer, right? Like that, that's okay, right? Um, and you'll work with product people. But if you're trying to groom yourself to be a CEO, or even if you're not, you know, if you're doing customer success, you're doing other functions, every company right now is product-led. Every piece of disruption right now is not a tweak to the business model. It's not like, hey, I can do the same thing for cheaper. Um, or, you know, it's, it's all about coming up with products, right? Uber, again, was not another way to give you a cab. The entire supply and demand chain of that industry got changed uh, to come up with a different way to get you from point A to point B, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I would tell you to really, really, really understand how to thrive in a product-centric world because all of the innovation right now is coming from uh, building, not, like I said, not just it's easier to buy, it's cheaper, it's, no, it's you've reinvented you know, an entire industry, right? So I would think really, really, really hard about what is that, how is that done, how are the best people going and getting their first 10 customers when it's their idea, um, uh, you know, how do you, what I was talking about earlier, how do you keep an open mind so you're not listening to what you want to hear, but you're actually listening to the signals? Um, are you paired up with the person if you're not that person to help you with how do I distribute this? What's the cost of distributing? You've got to think with all those elements in mind. Um, and I actually think that, you know, um, I think the Babson program would be, could be instrumental in doing some of that. Yeah, great. Well, I want to open the floor to QA. Anyone have any questions? Yeah. Uh, Samir, earlier on you were talking about uh, creating an emotional equilibrium. So it looks like one of the first jobs you take on when you come into a company is uh, taking care of social engineering. Uh, what's, what does that process look like? You know, do you try to change the people? Do you try to change the culture? Like what's, uh, what's that, what are the steps in there? No, I mean, you know, I, I think it's, I think, uh, I just never approached it with change. I approached it with like, we're going to be transparent. If you guys were before I showed up, great. We're going to do more of it, right? Like you're not trying to unnecessarily put a stamp there. You're just trying to be very clear on, uh, in a startup environment, any employee knows that there's a ton of things that you know and you don't know as a leader, right? This is not like a large company where like, well, you're the leader because apparently you know everything. Um, you just have to be open about what you know what you don't know, what you learned last week. And I think that's really, really important to start to set the culture because that only works all over the organization. People feel a lot more comfortable sharing what they're not sure about. 
or an experiment they tried that didn't go well because you're doing it. And I'm saying, hey, we tried this, that didn't make sense, we're going to try something else. Or we learned something we thought was, is different from the hypotheses we had before. Um, I think you just have to lead by example on that. That's just, that's, that's, you've got to live that, right? Like versus, and of course, if you feel like the values of the company are wrong and you've got to fix that, that's okay. But I can tell you, I mean, you know, if you go look at Glassdoor, I mean, like any company, we've got the bad ones and we've got good ones. But if you look at sort of how companies started to interpret the change in leadership eight months ago, you'll see that, um, you know, there was, there was transparency, there was conviction around a certain market. Um, and, and honestly, the ability to communicate. I mean, you know, if there's one thing that I wish Babson had more of when I went to Babson was, I wish we had a lot more of the, you know, at some point, the softer stuff, right? So at some point in your career, it is not going to matter, you know, how good your engineering degree was. When you get to a certain stage in your career, your communication skills, the presence, you know, um, uh, and I was, and I've been, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at those things and I've done well doing it, right? Um, but, you know, when three people walk in the room together, and I had, a, I had a, someone who, a colleague of mine, she worked on my team at SAP, and she would always say this to me. She's like, and she, we got really close, and she would literally be like, why is it that every time we walk into a conference room, like say some vendors here, someone from the outside, they don't know anyone, and instantly they know that you're the manager. How, how is that? You know, and so my point is, and this is a skill, this is, I inherited this from my mother. Like, I, I know where I got it from. Um, but I would be, you know, th those are the things that matter a lot more. And, 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 and people seek that out in, in, in leadership. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, hi, so my name is Celine. Uh, as I told you before, I'm an MBA student here at Babson, and um, I just wanted to say I appreciate a lot of the stuff you said earlier about confirmation bias and that whole, um, you know, developing products, because I'm experiencing exactly that in the startup I work for, so nice. it's totally true. Um, so my question is, we're actually taking the uh, intro to marketing course right now, and uh, don't throw any fancy terms at me because we're only in week two. Yeah. Uh, but what, what did you do? What, what were you doing before the program? Like what, so what's your I'm, career path? Yeah, I'm in the part-time program, so okay. I work for a tech startup. We're in a web application portal for a specific niche industry. Okay. So anyway. Uh, so your, but your role is like, are you in the industry? Oh, I do customer success. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, my question is, you kind of spoke to uh, these, this third wave of marketing, and so what do you think are the fundamental concepts in marketing that are being shattered by this third wave? I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, I think there's only, there's simply one, really, like there's other offshoots of it, there's only one, which is, you know, you, the, the, uh, this notion of, you know, every one of us as consumers wanting to be treated as an individual has existed forever, right? Like, who wants to be part of a, of a group? If, if you can, you know, I'm me, right? We're all different. The technology has never, ever been able to live up to that at scale in a consumer environment, right? Like, if I sell the businesses and I only have 50 customers and each of them, you know, is, a, is worth, say, $2 million a year to me, I can deploy 10 people to do nothing but learn that customer, like, go. That, you know, 10 people, that's a million bucks, one-time cost, um, and, and we'll gain it. But in the consumer world, that's really hard, right? So we're now at a point where the technology allows you to be able to scale both understanding you and engaging with you. Like, we're at the early stages of that as an industry. Even though I think Kahuna is the best at doing it, there's still going to be decades of, of deployments that's going to happen, you know, to make that better, right? Um, marketing will talk to you about segmentation, right? Big words, right? And we are the anti-segmentation people. We're like, no, because we're not the same. You know, we may wear blue jeans, but we're not the same. And um, I do have a vest. So you, you do? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Keep going. I have another one in the car. Yeah. I can get it. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, I think fundamentally I would push the envelope on one-to-one -one personalization and force the discussion to go into as a consumer, what do I want to, how do I want to be treated? And I can guarantee you the answer you come up with is for the first time close to being possible than it's ever been, 
right? Because it's, it's easy to throw flippantly big words like one-to-one -one and personalization and all that stuff. And I would really, really push hard on what does that mean? Uh, how does the org, how does the customer's marketing org need to be wired now for this one-to-one -one world, right? What, what jobs and roles are kind of going away and what roles are coming, right? If you don't need 20 marketeers to sit there and actually say do segmenting because the software does it, well, what are they going to do? Like, I think that's, to me, that's a, those are big discussions that, that are worth having. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Um, I can also see how with the advent of data and being able to harness more data on yeah. users, yeah. that it makes that transition possible. I mean, Possible, that's the right word you used. I mean, yeah. like, it, with, it's a non-starter without it, right? So, you know, and this is a touchy subject. I mean, this is a tricky subject, right? Because every time you talk about this, people start saying, oh, well, privacy, and you're looking. No, no, this is not about looking at anything you didn't want us to look at or anybody else to look at. This is, if you didn't opt in, you didn't opt in, right? Um, but I too, truly believe that, you know, the Ubers of the world have really pushed us to agree that if you give me back 10x value, I'm willing to actually share more than I was before. The problem wasn't I didn't want to share. The problem was I never got anything back for it. And now I kind of am, right? And so, you know, um, those are huge data points, right? So, so to your point, that's data because I'm getting to share. I'm getting to, see, to glean your behaviors, right? Um, we've, we're going to combine that with third-party data now that can help me understand how your beha behaviors are affected, right? You know, the fact that there's a baseball game tomorrow and the fact that you like beer and the fact that you're going to see the game, what is that telling me about you and what can I do? Um, I mean, my, you know, this sounds a bit dramatic, but you know, I always tell customers the best, uh, the best marketing is information. If your marketing is really good, it's information. It's not marketing, right? It, 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 we're at that point. Do you, like I said, like I mean, the Uber example, do you ever, ever think you've been marketed to? No, it's genius. Have the Amnesty Internationals of the world, the Greenpeaces, the, the kind of nonprofit kind of change makers reached out in, in terms of thinking about, like, obviously, if you're buying from Tom's, you're buying from Bonobos, like mm -hmm. these, these more kind of impact-driven uh, for-profit entities. That's the same sort of mindset as many they're going for from a fundraising perspective, right? Yeah. Like, has, has that ever no, I mean, come I, across? Or? You know, there's, there's no. I mean, I, yeah. I, think, I think there's still some gestation left in the industry, right? Uh -huh. You know, when we sit down and we talk to our customers about what we do, um, I mean, 10, 10 out of 10 of them are like, that's the future. Uh, but there is, there has not been any meaningful innovation in this space, in my opinion, for 25 years. So if you've been in your career doing email marketing, you know, for 20, 25 years, like if you graduated when I graduated and you took, your, took an email marketing job and you're still doing it, you, to make you unlearn that and buy kahuna can be difficult. Mm -hmm. So which is why we're on lead with like, well, don't, you don't use that software, use this software. Um, you just start to, you know, you start to talk about a, a slew of competitors and say, here's why these competitors are moving forward. Um, uh, and now that we're talking about, you know, sort of powering these email systems, it's an easier discussion. Uh, but there's still behavior change. Yeah. There's still behavior change out there that's required. Yeah. Anyone else? So I'm actually really interested in marketing technology and marketing automation. Um, awesome. My first job, I was actually in marketing automation. And I feel like a big focus on it is the, the data part that you talk about, where you're kind of just taking in every little thing where you can to build these profiles and how you kind of just can plug in with Exact Target or any other marketing automation system. But I feel like a big part of this industry that's changing a lot is that, OK, for a second, you're partnering with Exact Target. And the next thing you know, they're your competitor. So how do you foresee that coming or defend against that, I guess, mm. um, from your partners becoming your eventual competitors? Yeah. You know, I generally don't worry too much about that, right? And that may be me, only because you know, there's a reason why startups pop up in Silicon Valley. You know, there's a pace at which a large company can move. There are limitations that they have because of architectures that are 10, 15 years old. And to be very fair to them, like, it's not like they can't do what we do, right? It's just that they've got other fish to fry. And uh, you know, if, 
if we would worry about that, like no startup would ever come because technically that big company has 6,000 engineers and they can, you know, we, we always say, well, they could throw 20 engineers at this problem and solve it. Yeah, they could, but when they do it, we'll worry about it because until then, they're, they've got really meaningful problems to solve to keep their software meaningful and, and, and up and running. Now, does that mean that it doesn't happen? Of course it happens. Um, but there is something, you know, don't ever discount the power of a small team doing one thing and one thing only, right? And I, I, I have some authority to talk about this because I just came from SuccessFactors SAP, right? Gigantic company. And, you know, when there's even a small hitch in terms of earnings and all that stuff, what do you start to, you know, where do you take resources away from? The experiments, right? The things that are making money will always get, you know, and so innovation gets really, really, really hard, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There are very, very good ways for us to build moats around our business. Like I'm not being naive here too. I know how to build a moat around our business, but you know, I, I, the, we've got great partnership discussions happening with all of them that says, hey, great, like if you take this off, you're solving that one problem that the customer kept coming to me with, so I can take care of this, right? And, you know, the most successful companies in the planet kind of came out, many, not all of them, right? Came, came out doing that. So every time I worry about that, I look at the building and I look at like the ridiculous talent we have in the building. I'm like, you know, they, they can't keep up with us. Like, they, they just, they, and, and they don't want to, they're partners. Like these guys, they're, they're ridiculous, the amount of stuff they put out, right? And so I feel good about that. <laughs> or I make my or confirmation bias. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I want to go back to the third wave question. You know, I'm looking around. I'm seeing you know marketers. I'm going to send you. Uh, I'm going to send. If you, give, I mean, I will. I will send out a a three-page thing on this. If you guys want to read. It. <laughs> no, it's there. No, we have yeah, one. absolutely. No. Because that's the first no. Oh, you're gonna have fun with this. So I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not pitching here. I promise. But if you go to the Kahuna blog, all the content is on this topic, all of it. And there's a brand new article going out on an amazing public. And and there's stuff on CMO.com written referring referring to Kahuna. There's stuff on Martech. All of that. But I think if you go to the the blog, you'll see content and this uh, um, this white paper that you can download about mm -hmm. this topic too, right? But if we can, I'm happy to email it. Oh yeah, absolutely, it, right? yeah. Uh, but my, my question was more uh, towards, I guess, practical towards BAPS and students, right? So you start off before the, sk the skill that was the strongest weapon was those engineers. Second skill that was most valuable in the second wave was the, were those salespeople and those marketers. And now you're saying it's product people. Uh, I guess given the fact that not all of us in this room are product folks, uh, we, you know, we have customer success, we've got marketers, we've got sales guys like me. It's like when you're, it, it probably it's different from depending on the size of the company of how to do this. But what would, I guess, what would you have done uh, if you were not within a product role earlier on? Or what did, what did you do to sharpen that, uh, mm. that spear uh, of, of, of becoming that product marketer or the product guy? It's a great question. I think so. Let me maybe clarify something. What I didn't in any way mean that everybody has to become a product person. What I was saying is, you know, make sure you're at a at a company that believes that you're going to lead with product and innovation right now. You they need CS folks. They need salespeople. Like they, it's not like they don't. But you know, you, if you don't have faith in the product right now, you cannot win your way to success. Is what I'm saying you know, UX, design, experience. Think about it, like from f five in the evening to nine at night, you're using the most sophisticated, simple apps, whether it's Facebook or Snapchat, Instagram, you know, and then you go to work and you got to use this crap, right? Like those days are over, like you can't, you can't do that anymore, right? So, so just, I won't put that aside. Like this, is, this doesn't mean everybody become a product person. It just means if you do not have conviction that this company wakes up on trying to build a superior product every day, that's going to come back and bite you. So that, that's, does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I mean, if you made me pick about who I am, right? Like, I don't know if I would say, like I have product people in the office, I'm like, dude, you're way smarter than I am, right? Like I, uh, completely. Um, everyone thinks I'm product guy and I am in some sense, but I'm more, I would say I'm more product marketing if I had to pick something. Like I like to get up there 
take a big ass blowhorn and talk about what I do and I want the product to drive and meet me in it. Like I want to take a flag and throw it. I'm like, that's it. And I want everybody to run behind it and build a product into that, right? Versus me saying I'm a product guy, which is like, let me talk about the features I have right now. No one gives a shit because by the time it goes live, it's outdated anyway, right? Like I wrote a blog post where, you know, and I believe that and I, I, I always have our product teams readers. It's just like, you know, in my mind, your product is your roadmap, right? There's, it's not your product. Your customer's buying into, why do I want to be in business with you for five years? Not what I'm buying right now. So um, I'm not saying you need to become a product person, but I'm saying pay, if you want to continue to have faith in the company you work in, in this day and age, if you're doing something truly disruptive, right? If you're working for a large company that is still selling technology built 10 years ago and there's nothing wrong with that, and you're making a lot of money, that's a different job. But if you're in startup land and you're trying to do stuff, if you don't feel like there is conviction and everybody is putting product first till you hit product market fit. It's gonna be tough. You did have an inflection point where you did leave the services industry intentionally yeah. to learn product though, right? And yeah, I mean, I, again, I just was around products and I was like, what if, right? And I, and, and that's where I got lucky, right? I went, you know, I got a great role and, you know, and, and I was lucky to work for the co-founder of Success Factors uh, and, and for both the co-founders over the time that I was there. And in that culture, it's not just about the people where um, I could not have asked for a better apprenticeship on, you know, and we grew that to 35 million subscribers in four years, like we crushed it. Um, but I was, I, you know, right place, right mentors, right. Take a deep breath. Holy crap, we got to 10 million. I have no idea how we're going to get to 15. What do you do? Let me tell you, right? Um, find, those, find those people. Any other questions? You mentioned about um, creating an executive um, team or creating a team of executives and how you need them all to be in the same bandwidth of thinking. How do you balance that with getting unique people and those people actually think differently so they bring something new to the table rather yeah. than just thinking on that same bandwidth? Sure, I mean, so my, my point there was about emotional equilibrium, not, not IQ, right? This is more about EQ than IQ. Um, uh, I think, um, yeah, so I've never had that, ba the balancing was more around, can these people with different backgrounds, different experiences, still level at the same, you know, sit down in a room, don't take it personally, have a discussion, um, uh, be okay if someone gently wants to poke, you know, your function in the back a little and be like, hey, what are you doing about this? Or, or just, just be able to be in a place where there's rapid amounts, or there's massive amounts of transparency and, and velocity. Velocity is what gets lost when you have those problems because people are tiptoeing around each other and I don't think I can tell you and I gotta wait and you look really sad today and I'll come back tomorrow and like, dude, four days are gone, right? Like we haven't done anything here. So you, speed kills, right? I mean, or speed, lack of speed kills in Silicon Valley. Um, so I don't think it's got, I think it's about you, it's the opposite actually of what you said, right? Which is, of course the first thing you're looking for is do they bring something to the table that is more than just one X? in terms of their value add. But you, don't, you need to not get completely mesmerized by how awesome they are um, if they're not gonna fit because they're not gonna be effective, right? And your good ones will quit, right? If you, if you don't think through that. So it's tough. It's not like I'm giving you the answers. I'm just trying to tell you what to think about, right? So it's 10 years from now, what are you known for? <laughs> it's the last question. It's the greatest one. <laughs> 10 years from now? Yeah, how about five? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, I'm gonna humble brag for a second, you know. So my, my son is third in the US in squash, like he was, he just aged up. And in 10 years from now, like, I, you know, I just wanna like be able to be around and like see him through like where he is then and have the resources, knock on wood, to be able to support him and what he wants to do and my career will take care of itself. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. It's maybe not the answer you guys wanted to hear, but like you know, and my I have a five-year-old and she's doing well. And like you know, it's just like you you make a ton of sacrifices in this job, in this role. You know, you work really hard, and it sounds like I've got it all balanced, but I don't. And uh, um, and you know, you you don't want to ever wake up. You will never be able to justify all the commercial success you had if you don't look out for those things. There's just no question, right? Like it will not. It will ma It won't matter. 
Um, I know way too many CEOs who are unhappy human beings who have just sacrificed too much, who would give it back. I just don't want to be one of those people, right? I, I work really hard, but um, um, I'd like to, you know, the, the tenure story has, to, the, the tip of the spear for the, for the tenure story has to be one of those things. Yeah. You know, not like, oh, you run a bigger company than Kahuna. Yeah. You know, hopefully. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much. Thanks for joining our conversation. For additional events, tools, and articles, subscribe at thrive.freerange.com.